So I'm a scientist. And I'm not, but I'm curious about science. She asks a lot of questions. I ask a lot of questions. And it's always fun for me to explain complex science in understandable ways. So So we we made made a podcast. podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode two of So I Married a Scientist. I'm Corey. And I'm Mel. All right, Mel, what do you have for me this week? Okay, well, it's almost flu season. Yes, it is. Or maybe it is flu season when you're listening to this. Could be, yeah. It generally runs from October to May. Oh, October to May. That's like half the year. (laughs) Yeah. Flu season's half the year? Yeah, basically. No. Well, okay. So I have like tons of questions about flu season. And um, as you know, I hate needles. Yes. I know that. <laughs> I have actually fainted while getting a vaccination in the past. A couple times. Yeah. Uh, many times. I'm kind of a fainter. We should do an episode about that. Um, I hate needles. So I'm wondering, do I have to get the flu shot every year? And like, what is the flu shot? Yeah. So these are great questions. It is very important to get the flu shot every year. Uh, If you're someone who is able to get the flu shot, we'll get into why some people aren't. The good news for needle haters is there are new alternatives to the flu shot that we can discuss. But the reason why the flu shot is an annual shot, whereas a lot of your vaccinations as a kid aren't, is because the flu virus changes very quickly. Every year, there are different strains of the flu going around. So basically what happens at the beginning of each flu season, well, actually at the end of the previous flu season, is these scientists at the CDC and other places. What's the CDC? The Center of Disease Control. Okay. So these are scientists that go around and they basically predict what the prominent flu strains are going to be for the next season. Like a weatherman, but for flu. Sort of, yeah. So (laughs) there are all these genetic markers. What's a genetic marker? Yeah, so these are (laughs) genes that are encoded in the viral genome of the flu. And they generally encode surface proteins on the surface of the virus. These surface proteins are what the immune system recognizes to say, hey, that's a flu virus, I need to go kill it. (laughs) Kill. Okay, wait, let's back up. Let's back way up for a moment. What is the difference between a virus and a bacteria? Yeah, so viruses and bacteria are both microorganisms. The key difference is that a bacteria has a cell and cellular components and it can replicate on its own. Whereas a virus is very basic and it only has a certain uh, genetic composition. It doesn't have a cell, uh, so it relies on infecting host organisms and getting into their cell and using the machinery in that cell to replicate itself. Whoa. Okay. Wait a minute. (laughs) Okay. So a bacteria is kind of like a tiny little, tiny little animal. Yeah. So most of them are single cellular organisms. Yep. But like if an animal could be a tiny little thing that can exist on its own and make its own babies... Correct. Okay. It usually splits in half to replicate, but yeah. Okay. It can self-replicate. And a a virus is more like some robot pieces that have some artificial intelligence and then go into somewhere else and get some of those pieces and cobble together a self-made Frankenstein that takes over. 
I'm not sure the virologists would love that explanation, but sort of. <laughs> um, so basically, if you could think about it, you have a car manufacturing plant and you have all the machinery there to make new cars. And then let's say you had some artificial intelligence to try to use your analogy. You had this artificial intelligence machine robot thing that said, hey, I could make myself if I had the right machinery. So if that artificial machine broke into the manufacturing plant, (laughs) which we could call a cell, and just kind of took over the manufacturing line to create multiple copies of itself, then yeah, I guess that would be a virus. Okay. Okay. So are viruses more dangerous than bacteria? So yes and no. Okay. The nice thing about viruses is that we can make vaccines against them. Which is awesome. Yeah. But we can't use things like antibiotics against viruses. So antibiotics are only good against bacteria. They don't work against viruses. Why? Because antibiotics kill the cells of the bacteria. There are antivirals. So one of the things you may have heard about in flu season is something like Theraflu. That's an antiviral? That's an antiviral. Oh, I uh, Which basically puts the virus at a weaker advantage against your immune system and helps you clear the virus. Whoa, okay. So... This is crazy. Okay, so viruses are like robot parts with brains, but no cells. They don't have brains. No, they don't have brains. They have artificial intelligence. No, okay, we're going to back up here. Okay, so if viruses are a non-cell organism that needs other parts to work, then what is the flu virus? Yeah, so the flu virus itself is very simplistic. It's made up of genetic material, which in our cells is DNA. In the case of a flu virus, that's RNA. Uh, So all of its genes are on this single-stranded RNA inside the middle of the flu virus. And around the genetic material is a capsid that's made up of proteins that protect it. Like a little bubble? Yeah, so it's two different types of proteins. These glycoproteins are hemagglutinin, which is the H component of a flu strain, and neuraminidase, which is the N component. Neuraminidase. Neuraminidase. Mana, mana. Uh, so if you have ever heard of a flu strain being called H1N1 or H5N5 or H5N1, these are all different flu strains that are made up of different glycoproteins in their capsid. Okay. Very basic question. Sure. What is a protein? Yeah, so a protein is a macromolecule that forms structures. So a big molecule. Yeah, so a lot of your cellular machines are proteins. Cellular Cellular machines. I have machines inside my cells. Yeah. Oh. So like your ribosomes that make other proteins. Ribosomes. Or... Your polymerases, which make more DNA or RNA, these are all proteins. What makes the flu virus so difficult to handle for our immune system is these polymerases are very error-prone. In our cells, an error-prone polymerase is a really bad thing because we want our cells to maintain the same DNA. We don't want any mutations that could cause disease. But for a flu virus... 
mutations are actually really good for the survivability of the whole species because it can allow mutations that will make it harder for our immune system to recognize it. So it's kind of a shapeshifter, the flu? Yeah, that's actually a good way to think about it. Yeah. So I'm picturing, okay, so I'm picturing <laughs> a little bubble with yep. a little single strand RNA, which sounds inside like of it. inside yep. of it. Which is like DNA, like the double helix DNA, but only one of the helixes, right? Yeah, so a lot of different combinations exist. So you can have double-stranded DNA genomes. You can have genomes that are double-stranded RNA. You can have single-stranded RNA genomes. In this case, a flu virus is a single-stranded RNA genome. Okay, so then on the outside of the bubble, there are little proteins... Gly- glycoproteins That's yeah? right. that that kind of like build Lego structures, but they're always building them different. Yeah. So different strains will have different combinations of Legos. So they're going to have one H and one N. And then within those H's and N's, you have a lot of different variety in what they look like because of all those mutations that the polymerases generate. Okay, we've established what the flu virus is. How is that flu virus different from other viruses? What is it? How does it look different? You said it's simplistic. Yeah, so different viruses are structured different ways. So you have some viruses that have different compositions of capsid. You have others that have an additional layer of an envelope around that capsid to provide even more protection and uh, complexity. I mentioned that the genomes are different in many cases. You can also have some interesting structures. A good example is a bacteriophage, which is a virus that preferentially targets bacteria. And this actually has a little plunger, which helps with the attachment and injection of the genome into the bacteria. So there are a lot of different types of viruses out there. So could we use viruses to fight bad bacteria? Yeah, in theory, we could, although there aren't any current treatments in the United States. I think Russia currently has a treatment using a bacteriophage against a bacteria, but I don't know enough about it to to really explain it. Um, The interesting thing is that we do have therapies using oncolytic viruses, uh, which are viruses that preferentially target cancer cells. So one of the interesting ways that we could potentially treat cancer is by using viruses that will go after and specifically kill cancer cells. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So let's get back to the flu. So one thing that's always boggled my mind is that a flu virus can present a very specific range of symptoms. Like if you see someone who looks kind of sick and they're throwing up and they have a fever, you're like, oh, that person has the flu. And that's amazing to me that this tiny little virus can produce symptoms that are so similar in so many different types of people. How do you explain that? Yeah. So it's important to note that There are a couple different ways microorganisms promote symptoms. Um, Some of those are related to virulence factors that are inside the organism, so toxins or proteins or other things uh, that actually stimulate a response. They stimulate a specific response. A specific response response from the body. body. So if you have a cholera toxin, you're going to get a very specific response to that cholera toxin. As the immune system's trying to fight it? Well, no. Cholera toxin is a specific toxic agent created by cholera bacteria that acts on cells in a very specific way. Yeah, but the body's response to it is pretty consistent in the way that it wants to... Well, yeah. So that's where a lot of these symptoms come from. They're not actually related to the organism itself. It's related to ways that the immune system has developed to fight back against these agents. 
in the case of fever, one of the things that is unique about microorganisms is they often have a very narrow range of optimal growth. Because they're targeting humans, they are very specific and good at growing at 98 degrees Fahrenheit, our normal body temperature. Mm. So in a fever response, you elevate that temperature to get the virus or bacteria out of its optimal growth range. Oh. And that gives your immune system a little bit better chance to fight back. Wow. Okay. So it kind of like weakens the enemy. Right. Yeah. And then other things like vomiting or diarrhea. So you're just trying to clear the virus. So these are evolutionary traits that we've developed to fight back against viruses and bacteria. So when you have severe diarrhea, you know, you might get dehydrated from that, but the whole goal of your body is to get rid of all of those um, bacteria and viruses that could be in your, your gut. And when we say evolutionary traits, we mean like people who haven't been able to like throw up or have diarrhea or get fevers have probably not survived very long because, you know, the, basically the flu virus overcame their immune system. Yeah, so this is getting into natural selection. And natural selection. How fit you are to pass on your genes. Yeah. So if there comes along a strain of flu that's like so mutated that our bodies just have no evolved way to fight it, we're in deep trouble. Right. And this has happened before. So there are two different ways that it mutates. One is called antigenic drift, which is basically those small mutations that over time will accumulate to make a different protein. And then there's antigenic shift, which is when you get a completely new form of that protein that our immune system is basically completely blind to. Wow. Uh, and it's those transitions that the vaccine generators have a much harder time dealing with. Well, wow, okay. So back to the flu vaccine. Right. Now I'm getting a little freaked out about this. Yeah. So to get back to the original question, yeah, yeah. the reason why you have to get it every year is because in each vaccine, there are three or four strains of virus that have been predicted to be higher than normal that next flu season, and then they want to protect against it. So generally they pick two influenza A strains and maybe one or two in influenza B strains, and then they produce it, distribute it, and give it to as many people as they can. Yeah, so a lot of people can get very cheap or free flu vaccines, right? Yeah, so most insurance companies will call a flu vaccine a preventative measure. So it's much cheaper to vaccinate people against the vaccine than to treat them for actually getting the flu. Totally, yeah. So they you know, are making all of these vaccines. They can make them relatively cheaply compared to other treatments. And if you compare it to the cost of, you know, the Theraflu or if you have a severe case and you have to get hospitalized or go to the ER, these are, you know, very expensive treatments compared to just getting the flu vaccine. Okay. So is the flu vaccine dangerous? Like they, are they giving you the flu when they give you a vaccine? So no. Um, <laughs> They're not. They're not giving you a full bonafide live virus. So there are two current treatment options right now. There's the flu shot, which is in the injectable needle type that you don't like. Um, Do and that like. is a killed virus. So they what? make the virus, they inactivate it, they kill it, and then they inject it. How do they kill it? So there are a number of different ways to kill it. The easiest way is just to heat it up. So I mentioned that if you you know heat things up, they denature their proteins. Like and then, pasteurizing? Sort of, yeah. Uh, similar. <laughs> huh. 
they can also use different chemicals. So there's a uh, formalin inactivation. Uh, but I think the most common these days is Triton X100, uh, which is basically just this. That sounds like sci-fi. Yeah, right. Triton X100. Yeah. So it's just Get this chemical ship. that is really good at getting into the capsid and, you know, still allowing those proteins to be presented, but not having a live virus. When you say live virus, you mean it doesn't replicate? Correct. Amazing. Okay, so they shoot a dead virus in your body. Correct. And then what does your body do? Then your body will go through about a two-week process where it recognizes those viral particles as foreign. It'll go through the whole immune response, which we can discuss at a later episode. And if you get exposed to this virus, your immune system is already pre-charged to attack it. Um, But this is also why you need to get the flu vaccine before you get exposed. And because the flu season starts in October, you want to make sure you get the vaccine before like mid-October. At least two weeks before. Okay, it takes two weeks to like, okay, so... In my head, my immune system is a little uh, group of soldiers. And when the vaccine comes in, it's like, soldiers, uh, th- this is how the enemy is going to attack. And we're going to develop a counter plan so that when it attacks, we know exactly what to do. Is that what a vaccine does? Well, the, the vaccine kind of tricks your soldiers into responding full force at the fake one. So it's like a battle simulation Yeah, it's game. like a mock battle that Whoa. you then will rely on for memory and immunity later. And then the soldiers remember their training. Right. And then when the real one comes, they're like, we know exactly what to do, guys. We already have the machinery and the tools to defeat it. Wow. Okay. This is why some people I've heard say, like, don't get the flu vaccine because it'll make you sick. But you're saying that the reason you feel sick is because your immune system's going into hyperdrive to learn how to fight the disease. Right. So all of those symptoms, like, when you get a fever or you feel a little bit queasy, that's because your immune system is actually trying to kill off this virus that doesn't really exist. Whoa! It's like a ghost virus. This yeah. is cool. Okay. Um, so that's, I'm like excited to get the flu vaccine now. There you go. You have convinced me. There we go. So even better news for you, because you hate needles. Hate them. There's a nasal spray, which is a slightly what? different form. So this is a live attenuated virus that can still replicate under the right conditions. But what has happened to it is they've weakened it from the optimal human growth. So let's say you grow it in eggs, which is one of the most common ways to produce the virus right now. Flu eggs. Okay. You produce them in eggs. Well, those egg cells are very different than the human cells that it's going to come in contact with. So if it optimizes for the eggs, it's not going to be optimized for your human cells and it's going to grow less quickly. And when it's attenuated like that, it's weakened, uh, you can safely give it to people and your immune system will clear it faster because it's not this like supercharged human virus anymore. So it's not dead, but it's like a zombie that moves super slow and it's easy to take them out. Yeah, you can recognize it just as quickly as the live one, but it's not going to fight back nearly as hard. Yeah, you're just like, you just punch it in the face and it's gone. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Okay. All right, one more question about the safety of the vaccine itself. So I heard someone say that vaccines aren't safe because there's mercury in them. Is that true? Yeah, so that is true. Whoa. In some cases, the vaccines are packaged in a way that requires a mercury-containing agent called thimerosal to be used as a preservative. Oh, so, so they basically, don't go bad. there are a couple different ways to package the virus. There are single-dose vials, 
where you just have one vial for each dose. But that's not really efficient from a distribution standpoint. So there are multi-dose vials instead of a single-dose vial, which is one dose equals one vial. For one you person. Have, right. You okay. would have a vial that has multiple doses for multiple people. Oh, okay. So one big vial. But you use different vial. needles for each You use different needles for each take one. Take it out. Yeah. But okay. each time you poke the needle into the vial, you could potentially introduce microbes and contaminate the vial. Okay. So in order to prevent that, you put thimerosal as a preservative to kill off any of the bacteria uh, that could potentially get into that vial. Well, that's good. Yeah. So is the mercury, is it like a lot of mercury? So no, it's roughly the equivalent amount per dose as a three ounce can of tuna. I was just going to ask, is it the same amount as a can of tuna? Yeah. So if you're comfortable eating a can of tuna, you should be perfectly comfortable with the flu shot. Now, if I, I just have to tell a quick story. Yeah, of course. Um, I once was the recipient of a tuna intervention. One of my roommates was a chemist, Dr. Heidi, and she saw that I was eating too much tuna each week. And she sat me down and she said, Mel, you got to stop eating so much tuna. You're going to fry your brain or something like that. Is it? She might have said something else. Yeah. But- so mercury poisoning is a thing. Don't eat more than one can of tuna a week. If you're pregnant, don't eat any tuna. Yeah, I don't know. We're not doctors, but I We're don't not know doctors. what the official I'm definitely not current uh, recommendation is. But yeah, you can eat too much tuna. If you really like canned fish, go for some canned salmon. Uh, it has much lower mercury content than tuna. Okay, so one vaccine, one flu vaccine a year has a trace amount of mercury. Right. It's not going to hurt you. Right. If you got vaccinated every single day for a whole year, we should worry about you, but you shouldn't do that. But you don't do that, yeah. You don't need to do that. Right. There's no reason you should do that. Right. One a year. Okay, so people can still get the flu if they get the flu shot. Well, yeah. Can we back up for a second? Yeah. Yeah, so there is mercury in the flu shot, but there's not mercury in the nasal spray, the live attenuated version, or the single-dose vials. So if you're concerned about the mercury, you could request the nasal spray as an alternative. Now, the nasal spray does have a little bit more restriction on who can get it because it's live attenuated instead of heat killed or, or dead. So there are some cases where you can't have the nasal spray. I think like if you're pregnant, you can't get the nasal spray. If you're less than two years old or older than 50 years old, you can't get the nasal spray. Is there anyone who cannot get the vaccine at all, the flu vaccine? Yes. And this is part of the reason why everyone who can get the vaccine should get the vaccine to protect the people who can't. So if you're severely immunocompromised or, you know, if you're a child less than six months, you can't get the flu shot of any kind. And if you're severely allergic to eggs, you generally can't get the traditional flu vaccine. I met someone who's allergic to eggs who developed an allergy to eggs like overnight for no reason. Very weird. Interesting. Then they couldn't like have anything with eggs all of a sudden. Okay, so immunocompromised means your immune system's not great? Yeah, so if you're severely immunocompromised and you can't generate an immune response, then getting the flu vaccine won't do anything because you won't be able to mount the immunity anyway. So if I have the flu vaccine and I am, you call it inoculated against the flu. That's correct. Could I still give it to somebody else? Well, good question. A lot of people stop getting the flu shot because they've had the vaccine earlier and they still get the flu. And part of the reason why that happens is because, again, you have to predict many months in advance which 
strains you're going to protect against. So in particularly bad flu seasons, what happens is a strain goes around that they didn't predict was going to be prominent and the flu vaccine is completely useless against that strain. So it just mutates and then it makes a ton of its... It mutates or it comes from a source that they weren't expecting. Like the birds or the, the pigs. Yes. Yeah, so swine, yeah, avian so you've flu. you've heard about swine flu or bird flu. Or Does it really come from swines and yeah, birds? Yeah. So what? there are three types of influenza. There's influenza A, influenza B, and influenza C. Influenza B and C are specific to humans. So no other animals can have those. But... Influenza A has multiple animal vectors, uh, and we call them vectors, but it's basically just an additional animal host for that type of strain. So in the case of influenza A, chickens, ducks, pigs, bats are all vectors, uh, and they can be these reservoirs for the virus. And interestingly, one of the ways that you can get these antigenic shifts that we don't expect is if multiple versions of the flu virus are infected in the same pig or in the same Ugh. duck or chicken, because then they can cross over and share genetic material and create combinations that we weren't prepared for. Um, so and then in the how case, do they make the jump to people? Yeah, so it can jump back to people because there's you know, some interspecies so crossover the, there. It's so called the, a zoonotic virus. Zoonotic. Yeah. Could the, so the A strain can turn into a B or a C strain? No. No. It's the combination of multiple different A strains that, that happen inside a pig that's infected with multiple versions or inside a duck or a chicken. Uh, and this is why... But how does it get to people? Um, that's what I'm not Yeah, so you can catch that virus from that pig or in oh, duck or chicken. so you can get an A strain flu. Yeah, humans get A strain flus. Bs and Cs are specific to humans, but... Don't exist humans, Yeah, okay. humans can get A strains, and A strains can also impact ducks, chickens, pigs, and bats. Next and question. Bugs. If I get the bat flu, will I turn into a vampire? No. Dang. I'm sorry, you will not. <laughs> Okay, so okay, so uh, yeah. So, so this is why we can get in our world and uh, this uh, flu. I'm freaked out now. How can you please help me sleep at night? Yeah. Now. So get your get your vaccine. Okay. Yes, um, I will do that. If you're really scared about the needles, talk to your um, doctor about it. And nasal spray. Get the nasal spray. Okay. Um, and yeah. So the good thing is that very experienced people are creating the strain cocktails that go into the seasonal flu shots. And if you are somebody who can get the flu shot safely, please do so so you can protect, you know, babies under six months and elderly and folks who can't get the vaccine. Oh, wait, let's go back to the question of like, if I'm vaccinated, let's say I'm vaccinated against H1N1. Yeah. They think that the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, I paid attention. That's from way early in the episode. Thank there you, you. go. They say H1N1s are going to be a big deal this year, guys. It's going to sell a million records. It's going to be on the number one billboard charts. Get your freaking flu shot. I'm not supposed to say freaking. Get your flu shot, guys. It's got H1N1 in it. It's going to be great. All the kids are doing it. So you get your flu shot, and then you're exposed to H1N1 because yeah. it's everywhere, but you don't get it because you're vaccinated. Well, you might get it if there's enough drift away from the strain that they... Okay, protected okay, so for it's not muddy the waters but yes okay so you're exposed to it you don't get it because your your little soldier guys are like yeah we know what to do right. so could you still be a carrier for someone else and give it to someone else unlikely 
So in some cases, in some viruses, you are contagious before you show symptoms. But the flu virus generally doesn't work like that. So you're only contagious after you've propagated enough virus to show symptoms. So well, that's nice. Yeah. Actually. So the if you have the, a break in that, way. yeah, if you have the vaccine, then it's very unlikely that you're going to be a carrier. So okay. So only so if you have flu symptoms, stay home yes. is what you're saying. Please stay don't send your kids to school with the flu. If you really think you have the flu, yeah, don't go to school. Don't go to day. work. Take a sick day. Your coworkers or your colleagues will definitely appreciate it. You could make the case that like my immune system is pretty healthy. I don't really need the flu vaccine because I don't come in contact with these people. But I might come in contact with someone who does have young kids and they would be in contact with the young kids or the old people, right? Right. So it really is like this kind of like, it's kind of like the Kevin Bacon game. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like you might be degrees of separation away from somebody who really does need you to get the flu vaccine. Right. And the more people who get the flu vaccine, the safer the whole population will be. Amazing. So you said pregnant women cannot get the flu vaccine. Can't get the nasal spray. The nasal spray. They can still get the shot. Okay. Again, I'm not a doctor, so not a doctor. You know, talk to your doctor before you get okay. any flu shot. But yeah, the shot itself is safe in any trimester from what I've heard. That's very cool. Yeah. And it, it can be very dangerous for pregnant women to have the flu, right? Like it can yeah. be ba- bad for the pregnancy. I think it's very encouraged for all pregnant women to get the flu shot. And I think they're among the population that's most at risk for complications if they do get the flu. Because your immune system's already like in overdrive while pregnant, right? Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know. Not a doctor. <laughs> Hashtag not a doctor. Okay, final question. Yeah. Um, why do we have a flu season? Why isn't it all year long? Why isn't it one month long? Why is it from, you said October to May? Yeah. It's very specific. Really great question. I think there are a number of different explanations for it. Um, I don't think we have a definitive answer for why specifically it's October to May. But you can think about what happens in the winter. You know, people are inside more. There's more close proximity to other people. Kids are in school. But there are also environmental factors that are thought to contribute to it as well. So in the winter, the air is drier. This tends to dry out your respiratory tract. And that mucous membrane on your respiratory tract is one of the primary protection methods against a respiratory illness. Whoa. So you can inhale the flu. Right. So that's how it enters the body. It enters the body through your respiratory tract. So if you don't have that mucus protection, then you're more prone to acquiring the virus. So could having a humidifier in your bedroom help you maybe? In theory, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Um, So other kind of conditions. So viruses tend to degrade more quickly at hotter temperatures. So colder temperatures in the winter can help preserve them a little bit better. Um, There's also research out there that says that the coating of the virus actually changes composition in the winter and becomes a little bit harder and a little bit more robust, which protects it for a little bit longer. There's even a group out there that thinks that because the day is shorter, there's less UV radiation from the sun and that helps preserve it a little bit more. Thank you so much for explaining flu vaccination. Yeah, of course. Really important topic to to discuss and get the word out there for. Yeah, definitely. I hope this has answered all of your questions. Anyone who's listening, everyone who's listening. uh, Anyone? Spread (laughs) spread the... I hope there's at least one. Anybody out there? Spread the word to get your flu vaccination. And if you have any questions that we didn't answer, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us by emailing soimarriedascientist at gmail.com. You can go to our website, soimarriedascientist.com and get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. 
Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. Music by Lemonfest. Logo and marketing by Cambridge Creative Group. Edited and produced by Corey and Mel. See you next time. <laughs>